Welcome to Ebenezer's Podcast, a podcast about hearing, understanding, and applying the Word of God to our lives. My name is Leighton Erickson, and I'm Ebenezer's Lead Pastor. Thanks for joining us today. Please check out our website at ebenezerbaptist.ca to connect with us and learn more about our ministries. I hope you enjoy the message. Well, good morning to our Ebenezer family. Pastor Kelly here today sharing with you. Uh, As you well know, the last number of weeks, we've been moving through our summer series entitled A Long Walk with Jesus. Uh, In this series, we've been looking at a number of the parables of Christ, as well as the different interactions that Jesus had with with multiple people during his earthly ministry. And this has really helped us, I think, gain a better understanding for his heart, for us as people, and his passion for us as people. This morning, I'm excited uh, again to have one of our missionaries with us. Uh, I want to welcome James Hukalak with us today. Good morning, James. Good morning, Pastor Kelly. Um, Kelly's just fine. Uh, I believe in the giftedness of all people. And so everyone's a minister in my mindset. I kind of go with that. That's how I roll. But uh, it's good morning for us. It's good evening for you. It's 10 p.m. there. And uh, I just thank you so much for working with the time differences to make this happen. So my delight. James, James, fantastic to have you here. You and your wife, Teresa, have served in the Philippines. You've been there for 40 years. That's right. Yeah, a little over 40 now. Well, that is exciting and it's amazing. And I'm, I'm wondering before we get into our passages this morning, if you could just give us a bit of a snapshot of your mission's journey. We'd love to hear that. Sure. So my mission journey started out when I was a second year university student at the U of S where I came to know Christ and became very involved with the ministry of power to change. And around that time, Ebenezer became my home church. During that time, I was very excited about seeing the lives of students change on the university campus through the ministry of power to change. And my desire to be in full-time ministry continued to grow. During that time, I went to a missions conference and one of the illustrations I remember They talked about 10 people carrying a pole, nine at one end and one at the other. And they said, if you wanted to help, which side would you come to? And God began to use that illustration in my life in challenging me to realize that even though I might never be as effective as I would be in North America ministering, God might use me in more strategic ways if I headed overseas. And as my confidence grew, I continued down that path. And as was said, we headed off to the Philippines a little over 40 years ago. Well, it's been fantastic to see you. I've only gotten to know you a little bit the last little while, and I've known of you during my, my time here at Ebenezer for the last two and a half years. But it's been amazing to see that that significant time commitment that you folks have put in over there and the fruit that's come as a result of that ministry. So I'm wondering, how are you currently serving? I'm sure it's changed over 40 years. So what does your ministry look like now? Sure. So right now, Teresa and I are ministering at the International Graduate School of Leadership. So this is where we train, equip, and disciple the students that come to work with us. We draw students from throughout Asia, Southeast Asia, East Asia, South Asia, and even Central Asia and beyond. And the people who come to us are people who've been in Christian ministry for 5, 10, 15 years. 
So they're not baby Christians. They're preparing themselves for new levels of service to the Christian community and the mission field. So we're very spoiled in that we get to work with highly committed and highly responsive people. And I teach New Testament and leadership classes. I disciple. And then I also do a lot of coaching with our present students and our alumni scattered around the different countries. Teresa works with a thing called community service. So she has a team that works coming alongside our students and their families and helping to meet their pressing needs from things like visas, health, uh, family issues. And so she really meets people in their point of crisis oftentimes. So she has a very rich ministry of uh, ministering to people in their need. You know, it's exciting to hear what you guys are doing and just the, the width of your ministry, the depth of it. Um, we, you mentioned this to me the last time we met, I believe it was, that you had your new coaching group there and you talked about the four different people and where they were from. This isn't in our notes. I'm just going to throw this out there, but, and I don't know if this is okay or not. We'll, we'll edit it if not. But where were those gentlemen from again? Yeah, so there's the, a new group, new group of students that are joining with me in a discipleship group, iron sharpening group. And it'll only be finalized in two days from now. But if it stays the way it is, I'll have one student from Nigeria in Africa, one student from Vietnam, one student from Sri Lanka, and one from Nepal. So we'll be joining together. I've worked through the time zone factors of the window where we can try to meet together online synchronously, where <laughs> someone is not having to get up in the middle of the night and so on. So we'll see wow. how that goes. That's amazing. I just love it when, when God puts these things together. I mean, all nations, right? He talks about all nations will will hear eventually at some point, and and yeah. you're a part of that. And it's just you're doing it in one phone call. <laughs> That's pretty exciting to hear. Um, we're going to dig into a couple of passages here. We've been looking at the interactions of Jesus, um, and today we're looking at Jesus in his interaction with a, a certain blind man named Bartimaeus. But before we dive into that story. Uh, we want to look at another passage, as we've talked, as Sue, you've suggested this, and I think it's great, but this helps us set the tone and the backdrop for, for the Bartimaeus passage. So that's Matthew 25, 40 to, and 45. So I'll read that, and then we can dig into that. The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And then verse 45, he will reply, truly I tell you, Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. So as we were talking about Bartimaeus, you brought this passage forward as one that we should consider for this backdrop. So can you unpack this for us a bit this morning? Sure. In this passage, Jesus uses the expression to his audience twice, the statement, the least of these. And it reflects this tendency that we have within society we group people, we layer them as something of our own informal caste system, more important, less important. And that's the feature that's there. In the recent months, there's been a term that's been used of unconscious bias that's affecting us that we need to be aware of. I ran across a, I ran across a quote recently that said, the failure to love our neighbors as oneself 
is global, spans all of history, and is universal to all people. And sometimes this least of these, this tendency to look down, is because of who they are, their uh, traits, their uh, uh, appearance, or their background. And uh, these things could be big or small. I remember a number of years ago, I've been a runner most of my life, and my doctor said he wanted to give me a medical test, and he said, so for a week, I don't want you to run at all. And so that was uh, a, a sobering experience for me as I thought, gee, what would it be like if I had to stop running for the rest of my life? And as I was thinking about that, I realized I had a tendency to look down on people who had lived sedentary lifestyles, hmm. people who were couch potatoes. And it's a very trivial thing, but I realized it was part of me. So this tendency to look down on people because of who they are. Other times, there may be a tendency to look down on people because what they have experienced. There's a Middle Eastern proverb that says, if you see a crippled man, kick him. Why should you be kinder than God? And sometimes as we see people who have experienced hardship, they're homeless or something, there's a tendency perhaps we look down on them thinking oh, it's because of their bad choices, their bad life decisions that's got them there. So this tendency to look down upon people, it comes all so naturally to us and serves as something as a backdrop to the passage that we'll look at in Mark chapter 10. This whole idea of unconscious bias is really quite interesting. I know my wife had a, a whole seminar on this in, in her work just a little bit ago, and it's, it's something I think that's quite important for us to understand. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I think that all of us come with some amount of bias dependent on our own background and experience, just as you said. Um, so it, this is our backdrop then. Let's look at Jesus' healing of Bartimaeus. And I can read that. That passage is in Mark chapter 10. 46 to 52. <clears throat> Excuse me. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and followed with Jesus along the road. Now, what's important to consider before looking into all the details of this passage? There's lots here but there's some kind of bigger things to look at. So James, what, what would you say um, to that this morning? Sure. This event is recorded in three different gospels. So it shows up in Matthew chapter 20, and then it shows up in Luke chapter 18, and then here we have it in Mark chapter 10. And as we look at these different accounts of the same story, we see they include certain features and they choose not to bring in certain features, and that each of them crafts the story in a special way because of the direction that they want to go, the points that they want to make. And so as we look at our passage today, we want to look particular 
particularly at where the human author Mark, led by the divine author God, is trying to take us in the way he presents this. So one event, but three different stories that are distinct in their approach. So one event, uh, three different stories, but one thing we know that's ex very common through them all, not so Bartimaeus was blind. They all definitely sure. have that. So that's probably a good place for us to start this morning. Um, blindness in Jesus' day was a much bigger issue than it is in our culture today because of healthcare practices of that time. Um, many who were blind then could have easily been cured of that just by, by issues that are dealt with at, at birth, quite, quite honestly, from what I understand. But in Jesus' time, it was a pretty common occurrence. Now, for us, those who are blind in our culture, with technology support and different resources, they're able to, to function and work and, and contribute normally. But obviously, that was not the case in Jesus' day. There were no social programs. There was no government assistance. There was no charities. Um, so Bartimaeus really had no option but to beg for a living. And what I find really interesting, and we're going to talk about this and open, open up this conversation a little bit further on yet, but Bartimaeus is named in this passage. Now, many of the Jesus heals in the Gospels go unnamed, but here we know this gentleman's name, Bartimaeus, and so that tells us that he was well-known. He'd probably been begging in this particular place for most of his life, and despite being known, Despite sitting on that, that street corner or that place along the street for all these years, he was still ignored by the crowd that was moving along with Jesus. And in fact, they told him to, to just be quiet. So you mentioned something as well about blindness through the Gospel of Mark and how important that was in, in his understanding of, of the telling of the story. So what have, what have you noticed about it, um, blindness that you'd like to point out today? Yeah. Kelly, you brought up the really important feature, the shame that's associated with blindness of that time, that he ends up uh, begging uh, as if he's in the garbage heap. It, that's, mm. that's how this story begins. But it's important to look at how Mark is moving through his gospel, particularly the center part of his gospel, talking about blindness. And so... One of the difficulties we have in understanding the scriptures is we tend to use what I call a, a newspaper clipping approach. You know, we come to you know, flip it around, find a passage, and then we look just at those verses without looking at where the text has been taking us, where the author has been trying to move us. And so as we look at what Mark has been doing with this area of blindness, he's used it as an illustration of spiritual insight or failure to understand the things of God. So beginning in chapter 8, verse 14, he begins this conversation with the disciples. He warns them about the Pharisees, and he rebukes them about themselves that they don't, they're not grasping what God is dealing with here. And then immediately following that, there's another story, another blind man who's healed. And it's the most bizarre story that we have in the Gospels. It's the story about the man who gets healed in two steps. He goes from blindness to being able to see people walking around like trees, as if he's got um, a bad um, eyeglasses uh, prescription, and then Jesus touches him again, and then he uh, is able to see everything fully, as if Jesus was low bat or low battery and uh, or hadn't had his temple 
Hortons that morning and couldn't carry <laughs> off the, the story there. But as we look at this, this sets up a pattern of discussion that continues on all the way. And then here in this story about healing blind Bartimaeus, this is the bookend of the other blind man story. And so through this intervening chat, uh, series of chapters from eight till the end of 10, he's going through dealing with people who are blind, who are spiritually blind. They don't understand the things of God. It's over their heads. They're missing it completely. Then there are some people who have partial sight. They're understanding some things. So whoo, that's better than being blind, but they're still deficient. And then there's people who have full sight. And we see the disciples uh, oscillating back and forth between partial sight and full sight. And uh, so Mark is moving us along to try to help us to recognize that blind men in his gospel oftentimes are linked to this concept of insights, understanding the things of God. Hmm. I love that, that way that you've explained, James, this morning of, of looking at that bigger picture of what's happening in the gospel and how Mark in this instance was moving us along. I, that's, it, we need to look at the whole counsel of God, as, as one person that I knew put it, as we start to, to understand it. And that helps us even in this gospel to see like, like that bigger picture. So what's going on here? Um, as we've chatted through this passage, you, you've shared with me a couple of other thoughts as to why Bartimaeus is actually named. So what, what can you tell us about this this morning from your perspective? Sure. sure. So we have these three accounts of the healing of blind Bartimaeus. This is the only one where his name is given. And oftentimes when story writers introduce the names of characters and other details, it's because they're wanting us to identify with the person. It's like they're starting out with a black and white picture and then the color is bleeding into it until the whole shot is infused with color. And so Mark lays out for us, he is Bartimaeus. His name means son of Timaeus, which seems redundant. And then he is a beggar and he's sitting at the side of the road. And so he lays out these four features because he's wanting us to identify, to see ourselves somehow with Bartimaeus. We don't know where he's gonna take us in the story yet, but that's where he's dealing. And this redundancy about the name seems interesting. Um, the name Bartimaeus means son of Timaeus. And the name, the word Timae in Greek means honor, value, worth. Uh, it, it comes through in English when we talk about getting paid for overtime. You get time and a half or double time and a half. If, and the time there is not uh, duration, historical duration. It's this word. It's price. It's Timae. It's the, uh, a transliteration that's come across and been, so uh, it's uh, worth. And so by identifying and uh, unraveling his name, unpacking his name here as the son of Timaeus, it's, he's making it easier for his audience that knows Greek to recognize that his name means son of honor. And so this guy who's a beggar, blind, hopeless, helpless, 
in the garbage heap at the side of the road is someone who is valuable, honor, uh, worthy of honor, uh, worthy. Uh, that is a fantastic picture. I love that. Um, two and a, time and a half, two and a half times more. There's that value. There's that picture that Jesus was emphasizing here with him. That, that's fantastic to, to understand that. And we see that in the midst of what the crowd was doing. I, I mean, the crowd told him to be quiet. They didn't give him any airtime at all. They wanted to, let's just keep moving. Let's ignore this fellow and let's go on. But Bartimaeus didn't keep quiet. In fact, uh, in the passage, he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And, and as I read that, it, for me, it says that despite being blind, Bartimaeus had a pretty clear understanding of who Jesus was. He probably understood his reputation as a leader. Um, he would have been, his works would have been well known. Um, he would have heard the rumors that Jesus is the Messiah. And I think maybe that's what son of David means. He recognized, he made that reference. There, that's a messianic reference there. And so he didn't keep quiet. Despite what the crowd said, he kept calling and he eventually he got Jesus' attention. And that's when things really started to happen. Now, as you've dug into this passage, James, you pointed out that there's actually three miracles that take place during the story. And um, when Bartimaeus came to Jesus, um, Jesus asked, what is it that you want? And Bartimaeus said, I want to see. And I think this is actually the first miracle. Um, and that was a physical healing. So, James, what are you seeing from the passage regarding this, this first miracle that we see in the passage? Sure. So it's the obvious miracle that, that uh, leaps off the page to us. Um, again, this guy that was helpless, hopeless, and then transformed by coming to Jesus. Once again, the way the miracle is packaged is different than the way most miracles are packaged, however. Usually, there's the buildup to the miracle, and then right in the middle of the passage, the miracle takes place, oftentimes with words and sometimes actions of Jesus. And then after the latter part of the, the story is how the crowd responds. We've never seen anyone like this, or could this be the Messiah, or uh, this is uh, uh, teaching with uh, authority, things like that. But here, the healing miracle is all uh, squashed at the end of the story, which raises the uh, question, it makes us curious, what else is going on in this story? that the healing story is there at the end. That, that all is the obvious one. Like you say, it leaps off the page. So I, I'm thinking that this, the, the second miracle, we see the first miracle, physical healing, but I think the second miracle has to do with the spiritual healing that's there. Um, in that whole interaction that Jesus and Bartimaeus had, Jesus said, your faith has healed you. And then immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. And I, I I think it's very safe to say that there was a spiritual element that took place in terms of healing here as well. Um, in scripture, we see that we're all spiritually blind. And I think the story of Bartimaeus is actually this great, a great picture of Jesus dealing with us in terms of our spiritual blindness. Scripture goes on and says in 2 Corinthians, the God of this age has blinded the mind of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And I Think this just points to the reality that those who don't know Jesus are spiritually blind and we only receive forgiveness through the mercy of God and just as Jesus was or Bartimaeus rather was completely dependent on Jesus for that 
that physical healing, we are completely dependent on Jesus for our spiritual healing, uh, for that, that freedom that comes from sin. And again, he accomplishes this through his mercy. Um, so when we hear Bartimaeus call out to Jesus, he responds, call him. And I love that because I think for us, when, when we cry out in that same way, Jesus responds to us as well. And he calls us and he calls us by faith, just as he called Bartimaeus. And, and we see our response, uh, that faith response in Ephesians 2 verse 8. It's by grace that we are saved. It's through faith. It's not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. And that's an amazing thing that God has done for us through Christ. It's free. It's by faith. And we can all receive that spiritual healing. Um, so that to me is very exciting. But there's also uh, other things here that we notice about the spiritual work here of Jesus. And so James, talk to us more about Bartimaeus and his response, his faith response in the passage. Sure. Yeah. So you brought out so many great points, the faith response. And uh, it seems that he has been exposed to Jesus a lot. This is not a... a helpful passage in helping us to know how to have evangelistic conversations with people. We're not really sure where was it that Bartimaeus was starting in his understanding of Jesus when Jesus confronts him at the start of this story. It seems like whatever truth, whatever heart preparation he needed had already taken place, that he was ripe for the picking. <laughs> <laughs> and then he responds uh, and reaches out in desperation to Jesus, and Jesus meets him there. But there's another, another aspect that's really brought out strongly, and that is that he is portrayed as a committed disciple as this story moves along. He, he's an example of what it means to be a true disciple. And uh, there's as we look at the end of the story, it has these words that have been been uh, planted all the way through Mark's gospel up until this point when he talks about discipleship. He talks about uh, following after and along the way or along the road. And all of these expressions are used of Bartimaeus. And so he is the, portrayed as the poster child of a disciple. So as we uh, end this account of these people who have partial sight, no sight and full sight. And before we head into the triumphal uh, entry, which is the, the next verse beyond our passage, this guy is presented as the perfect disciple who's on a long walk with Jesus. Oh, and we were talking, uh, Kelly, we were talking a couple of days ago about, I was comparing it to a drag racer, like a drag strip racer. Uh, at the start of the story, uh, Bartimaeus is like a broken down drag strip racer in the ditch, uh, completely unusable. And then Jesus, the master mechanic, shows up. And then seven verses later, he's roaring down the drag strip at 500 kilometers per hour. That's the transformation that we see with this guy who is broken down and going nowhere. And then seven verses later, he is... Uh, full speed ahead, walking with Jesus. Hmm. That's a great picture. I mean, when Jesus works in our hearts, when we open our lives to him and Jesus gets a hold of us, man, we just, things can happen. And we can, you know, things can happen quickly at times, sometimes slow, 
you know, if, if that's not been our, our scenario, then that's okay too. But God is still at work and he can do this kind of stuff. And for Bartimaeus, that was his reality and he was, he was gone. Um, so that, that to me is exciting. Now, as we've talked about this, you've mentioned three miracles. Now, all of us are, we're focused on Bartimaeus. We're watching what's going on with him. We've seen two miracles there. So where's the third one? What are you seeing here, James? Yeah. If we look at the center of the passage, the third miracle that I would argue is present here is the transformation of the crowd in their perspective of others. The first two miracles relate to Bartimaeus. The third is the crowd that was present there. And so Mark carefully constructs this as if it's presented in three acts. And so the first act is Bartimaeus calling Jesus. And the crowd, as you pointed out, is dismissive and rebukes him. And they virtually uh, basically say, shut up, leave him alone, don't bother him. So scene number two, Jesus calls out, but he doesn't call out to Bartimaeus. Instead, he calls out to the crowd. Now, usually in the accounts of these stories, Jesus talks to people directly. Luke 19, Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, come down. I've got to eat in your house tonight. He directly, he directly addresses the people he wants to talk to, but not here. Instead, he enlists the crowd as agents of encouragement and assistance. And then the third act is the crowd's response. Taking their cue from Jesus, the crowd offers words of encouragement and support. Take heart, get up, he calls you. And so he lays out an example to us of how we are to allow our values of others, the way we perceive others to be transformed by Jesus as his values become our values. I, I, really, I really like the way that you've pulled this out uh, and helped us to see this in the passage here this morning. Um, and the three miracles that take place. Um, that's awesome. Thank you for that. Now, you actually spoke on this passage at one of the chapel services at the International Grad School of Leadership. So and I, you were able to do all this work before we even contacted you about doing this. I'm really glad that you suggested that we, we look at this passage. So why did you take this passage and present it at, at the IGSL? Right. Um, one reason is they specifically asked for it. But secondly, <laughs> because we are a training community that draws people from so many cultural backgrounds. And so because of that, we are a target-ripe environment for misunderstandings and disagreements because of these values that are uh, in a state of tension between these different cultures that our people come from. So because of that, it's a great opportunity for us to work with people and help them to realize that the expression we hear oftentimes is, common sense would tell you that they shouldn't do this. But as we work with them, we help them to realize that common sense is often usually cultural norms, the way we do it, and it's that not the way they do it. And so it's, it's a crucial need. 
also, because there's such a diversity of values and approaches, uh, ways of interacting, it's tempting, as I minister in this community, to be uh, drawn to certain people from certain cultures, because I like these values. And then there's these other people over here, and those values are not what I like uh, yet. They are uh, people who God has changed their lives. He's at work in them. And I need to come alongside them and recognize that Jesus sees them as people of great value. And just because their values might be different, they're not necessarily wrong from a biblical standpoint. So it's a, it's a, a very challenging environment because of the cultural diversity that uh, passes uh, across our vantage point on a daily basis. Hmm. I, can, I can see how this passage would have been very applicable um, for, for your people, for your community. Are there more, maybe more specific applications that you made from, from this story uh, for yourself and even from your larger community that you can share with us today? Sure. Uh, let me state three specific applications out of this, and then I'll talk of what has been happening in the last few weeks that relate to these. So the three principles that I, for me, looking at this passage and living this out is the idea, number one, race to Jesus for my needs. Like Bartimaeus, throwing off his coat, racing to Jesus, fighting the resistance of the crowd to get to Jesus. There's no need to delay in coming to him, no need to go anywhere else but to race to him. The second one is to follow hard after him as a disciple, responding promptly and wholeheartedly on a long walk with Jesus. And then the third one related to this third miracle, allowing God to continually revise, to realign my heart in terms of the value that he sees in the lives of others. Over the last few weeks, I've been doing a lot of work designing online classes and so i've been an extreme i've been on an extremely steep learning curve <laughs> learning to edit videos and and set up things on online learning platforms and and things like that and i realized that from those of us who are in our later years and i'll let people decide whether they fit in that category we usually don't move beyond our circle of confidence very far. You know, we come to the border, the fringe area, and may try out new things, but we rarely jump into the deep end and doing things that are far beyond our comfort zone. And so that's where I have been navigating over the last few weeks. And so it's produced a number of interesting experiences for me. The first is fear. At times, there's just like a, a breath of a, of wind, of fear cascading over me that with this thought, you can't do this. You can't learn this. This, this is beyond you. And so of needing to run to Jesus and uh, cling to him and say, uh, Lord, I trust you. I trust that you can make me confident and you can, you can do this through me. Uh, we can do this together. Um, in, impatience is another factor that I've experienced a lot. And as I've worked with technology, 
I'm recognizing a lot of times it just doesn't work the way that it, it should or even the way it, it worked yesterday. It, I'm doing the same thing and it doesn't seem to be cooperating today. So technology is letting me down. And so I recognize the need to be strongly patient with myself and with others as well in, in this learning phase. And then the third product I'm realizing is disappointment. Disappointment with my products because I'm learning this new technology and I'm applying it, but after all is said and done, the things that I produced are really kind of shoddy. They're not, that, they're not that impressive, which is what you would expect when you take baby steps, right? When you learn new things, of course, it's going to be there. And so it's been important for me to cling to God's approval that, and to claim, claim his delight in, in what I've been doing. So those are the features that uh, stand out to me as I'm looking at uh, applying these truths from this passage in my life. And Kelly, how about for you, as you've been working together uh, together with me over the last few months, actually, as we've been looking at this passage, what stands out to you in terms of application to your life and maybe possibly even more broadly in your community? Mm. Well, I, I resonate with you in terms of the technology stuff. It's off the charts for me. I'm pretty good with a hammer and a wrench, but boy, when it comes to a keyboard, that's not my strong point. And I introduced a young man to you off screen earlier before we started uh, doing our recording this morning and that's will he's one of our summer students some of our one of our summer employees he's come in and out here this morning a few times he's helping with all the tech and i am i'm just so grateful for him so here's a big shout out to will and he doesn't know i'm doing this and i hope he doesn't edit it out but <laughs> i want to thank him and and uh, for all of the work that he's been doing behind the scenes here it's really helped on that front but that's a massive challenge for, for myself. Um, I, I think there's a, another application here for, for myself and our community. And I think that's, it's very similar to your second application and that whole concept of going hard after Jesus, following hard after Jesus. And as I was looking at the passage prior to us kind of putting our message together today, um, I read somewhere that Bartimaeus cloak was actually a very important tool for him. Now, obviously it kept the weather off, but one writer actually suggested that as a blind person, he, he would have probably laid his cloak out and that's where the, the alms would have been thrown is into that cloak. And then he would have gathered those up. I mean, how would he find them? Otherwise they could be all over the place. So that cloak was a protective thing for him, but it was also his income earning um, tool really. And yet when Jesus called him, he threw that aside. And I think for myself, as well as many others in North America, and maybe you, you see this when you come home to visit, I think we've met once personally when you came back to, to Ebenezer just before I was hired, two and a half years back. Um, but I, So I know you've come on occasion. Maybe you see this as well, but I think we are hanging onto our cloak too tightly. Hmm. You know, that whole place where you know, resources and money and, and all those different things that come with that for myself and even in North America. And I, I think a challenge for us is to hang on to that less tightly, but hang on to Jesus tightly. And I think that's a big challenge for, for us in North America and even in our, our own community here today. 
Um, how do we hang on to Jesus more tightly and let go of that cloak and even leave it behind and follow him down the road at 500K an hour like Bartimaeus did? And I think there's another application here as well. This is actually very significant. And again, I'm not sure how much of this um, you've seen in the Philippines, but many of us in North America in particular have seen on the news in recent months all of the issues regarding racism and social justice that are are just flooding our the news right now and social media in a lot of different ways. And there's been rallies and so many different ideas put forward um, in order to bring reform. But I, I think the answer lies in you know, much of what we've looked at today. And I think it lies in valuing people as Jesus values people. And, and this is a big one for us because we, always, we all come with that unconscious bias, but to see people as Jesus sees people. And I think that we need to recognize that every person, regardless of background, of race or gender, they've all been created in the image of God. Every single one of us. We've all been created in the image of God and that God loves his creation equally, regardless of our differences and where we've come from. He loves us all the same and that Christ died for every one of us. It doesn't matter. And I think if we can build our foundation for loving other people on that, then I think that'll take us a long, long ways. Put all of our other biases aside and and grab onto that foundation of what Jesus has for us in, in terms of loving all people equally because he does. I think that when we do that, then true lasting reform can take place. And that'll be the cornerstone of that reform. So a couple of things I've thought of. Um, any last thoughts from you, James? Um, We've unpacked no. lots today. Maybe we emptied out the, the conversation already. That's right. <laughs> I've got nothing to say. Okay. <laughs> Um, I'm good too, but I would really like to, to pray for you this morning and, and then we'll, uh, we'll wind things up. Father, I want to thank you for James and for Teresa, for the ministry that you've given them, for the faithfulness in which they've served for 40 plus years. I pray that you would continue to fill them up and be their, their place where they are recharged. Uh, I pray that you would give them awesome uh, moments with you where you speak into their lives and they can just sense you continually uh, calling them to, to their ministry. And give James wisdom as he is writing curriculum and interacting with so many in different cultures and backgrounds and give him understanding of what's needed and required. And as he listens to his students and as he listens to you in the process, undertake for Teresa, she is um, interacting with people in their, their point of, of crisis, I think is how James said it. Um, empower her for that ministry as well and supply, supply for them in that way. And I know the Philippines was um, and probably still is on a pretty good lockdown in terms of the COVID response. Um, I pray that you would meet their needs in that way and keep them safe uh, as, as they are functioning in the midst of a, of a community that's feeling this a lot more significantly than we are here in Saskatoon and in our province. And Lord, I want to um, commit them to you in that way. And I want to pray for our larger um, situation in our world where so many uh, conflicts are happening because of bias, because of racism. Uh, and Father, I pray that, that you would bring your mercy into that in the same way that you brought mercy to Bartimaeus. I pray that you would give us understanding, that you would help us to forgive 
that you would help us to see other people as, as uh, you see us. And then I ask that there will be just a sense of a spirit of love and acceptance and forgiveness that goes out in so many ways. And perhaps this flashpoint that many are experiencing in North America now is a thing that will point us towards you. And so we just ask that you might intercede in that and help us to, to just see the value that you place on all of us. Help us to cling to that cornerstone. And we pray that reform could happen based upon that. And so, Lord, we give all of this to you today, just thanking you that you love us um, and that you've got purpose for us that's far bigger than, than what we would think. And I, I pray that we could let go of our own cloaks and that we could cling tightly to you as we move forward as disciples of Jesus. And we pray that we could go hard for you as Bartimaeus did. Thank you for this time now. We commit ourselves to you and all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being with us. Uh, it's what, 11.30, midnight maybe, where you are? You're looking pretty perky. It's not even 11 o'clock yet. So oh, time for a good, run. Good to go. <laughs> All right, we'll say a big hi to Teresa. Thank you so much for joining us today. You guys be blessed over there. I've really enjoyed uh, getting to know you better and, and this time together that we've had. I've enjoyed it very much also over these uh, last few months. Awesome. Good. Thank you, James, and blessings to you guys. Great. Take care. Bye-bye. Well, thank you for listening. Don't forget to check out our church website at ebenezerbaptist.ca. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can let us know by clicking like and by subscribing to our podcast channel. God bless you, and thanks for listening.